If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. And I'm going to continue on the series that I've been on on altars. You can also um, go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. So Isaiah 56 and Matthew chapter 21. Thank you, Father. You know, um, this, this all began about six months ago. And, and uh, we had a back modular building. And we had one of the rooms that we used some storage. And, and um, everything started with this series... You know, um, just coming out of that, that back room and storage and, and um, I saw this altar bench back there and this is what we had, you know, before we remodeled the, the sanctuary in here. And, and I just got my, I couldn't get my eyes off it as I walked out and I was like, kind of what's, kind of just prompted my heart to go over and sit down. And, and so I went to the altar and this altar bench that was back there sat down on it and, and I really sensed the presence of God, you know, come on my heart. I've, I've, I know God's presence. I, I know, um, I know his voice. Um, I know when he's trying to direct me into something and, and I sat down and just, like I said, the presence of God came on me and I just, the Holy Spirit said, said, Justin, I want you to pastor the people of heritage in the importance of altars. And, and I, I didn't know what that meant. And, and for me, I was kind of, I want to say limited in my understanding, but you know, my, my idea of an altar was, okay, this, this place that's in front of the stage at the church and it was that, that piece of furniture that you kneel on and you cry on and you do all sorts of stuff and you beg God to forgive your sins and, and all those things. And I'm not making light of that, so please, that's not the point. But I had a religious understanding of what an altar is. And when I got in it and into it and some of the things I just shared there in the transition that realizing the altar is a place of mercy and realizing in the New Testament if you look at the Old Testament, I have to understand that, that Jesus is, is the Old Testament. People put, put the Old Testament aside as it's, it's not important or there's not value in it. But you're, you're wrong if that's your mentality. And, and, and then people that don't, pastors, if they don't minister in the Old Testament or understand the New Testament, really you're limited in your understanding of the New Testament. Romans tells us that the Old Testament was written for our learning, that we might have courage, that we might have courage and confidence and hope in the scriptures. So the Old Testament, there, there's, there's a lot of amazing things there that if we could really see it, we can really see Jesus all throughout the scriptures. We can see Jesus all throughout the scriptures and the reality. And so when you understand something that took place in the Old Testament, then you can understand fully what, what exchange is God wanting to happen? Because when we talk about having an altar, the altar just isn't a religious place. The altar is a place of exchange. It's, it's a place of exchange. And I, like there's so many different directions we're going to go in the, in the, in the weeks ahead. But uh, I have a particular assignment, that, you know, this morning on, on, on what I need to accomplish. In this particular service, it may come out different than the first. It always usually does. Because it's a different group of people. And, you know, and so everyone is at different places in life. And, and so I love how the Holy Spirit will, you know, maybe focus on one thing in one service and not the other. Or it might be a totally different message. But, but I believe that we'll receive exactly what we need to this morning. And also all those that are watching online. And uh, 
So I'm looking forward to getting into this this morning. You know, God had, had a desire for his house. You know, um, you can have two schools of thought and, and both of them can be, can really hinder you. One, the thought is God only shows up in church. Or the, the other thought, the only place that you can get ministered to is if you're at church. And so there's this, this understanding that there's this, the house of God is, is understanding from our perspective in the New Testament that he doesn't dwell with temple maids with hands anymore, but he dwells in hearts. But there's an aspect of what we call gathering together corporately that we, be, that's why the word says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because there's something that happens when we come together as a body of believers, okay? So there's something important about the house of God and what God always desired and intended the house of God to be. So look, let's look at this in Isaiah 56 because, because anytime you hear a reading from a prophet, you have to understand a prophet is primary releasing God's heart. It's, it's, he's, he's wanting, he's wanting Isaiah to communicate to God's people that are in bondage to tell them, Hey, this is where you might be, but this is my desire. And so in Isaiah 56 verse seven, for the sake of time, we'll just look at verse seven. He goes, all these I will bring into my holy mountain. What does he mean by all these? He's, he's prophesying through Isaiah and letting them know that all these means Jews and Gentiles, meaning it's, it, there's three different people groups that the Bible primarily speaks to is one is the Jews, the Gentiles, or the nations. And so we have to understand that, or no, I'm sorry, Jews, the nations, and the church. And so those are primary things that God's always speaking to throughout scripture. So you have to kind of recognize who's he talking to here. Here, he's not just talking to the Jewish race, but he's talking to the nations as well. Jews and Gentiles, those, those that don't have a covenant with God as of yet. So he says, all these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Joyful in my house of prayer. I, how many believe there needs to be some joy in the house of prayer? You know, I think if there's not joy in the house of prayer, we're missing something. If there's not joy in your life, if there's not joy in you in this house, then, 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 then we may need to check something. We need to tweak something. We may be to get a different perspective. So there should be joy in my house of prayer. It says their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Now this wasn't their altar, but this was going to be on God's altar. Now, who's the altar? Jesus. So their, their sacrifice, their sins, their, is going to be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all people. See, God wants your house and he wants this house to be filled with worship. This is his, this is his intent. But what happens is we can be so caught up with everything that's happening around us politically, economically, socially, things happening in our families, things happening financially, so much so that we can be so focused on this that we forget what was God's original intent for it to be a house 
of worship and a place where there would be his altar. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. It says, and Jesus went into the temple of God. So we're talking about the house of God, right? We just, we, just, we just learned what God's heart was, is that his house would be a house of prayer. So he said, he went to the temple of God and he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know, now think about it here. We have this perception that, that Jesus is this mild manner person. And he is, he, he, he operated with the fruit of the spirit. He operated in love. He operated with kindness and gentleness and meekness. But yet there's a time, comes a time where he needs to make a point. And, and so here he comes in and he sees, he sees the house of God not being a house of prayer. Because I mean, he even, he even says that he says it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. You made it a cave of robbers. So here it is a place where the house of God was supposed to be a place where people could receive goodness, receive healing, receive the voice of God, receive wisdom from God, receive forgiveness, but yet you made it a cave of robbers. You made it a place where people are being stolen from when all the while I meant it to be a place where I could pour into them. And so Jesus came in. He's like, wait a minute, guys, this is, this is so off the mark. This is not what God intended. And the disciples said, in one of the accounts of this, he said, the disciples remembered it said in Psalms, the zeal of my father's house has eaten me up. Meaning, meaning Jesus is passionate about God's house. Thank you for your amen, Rick. I appreciate that. (laughs) See, only if we could be a little more zealous about God's house, like Jesus was. Now, if we look at ourselves, we look at our own selves as a house of God. Maybe there's some tables that Jesus needs to kick over. Maybe there's some things in your life that are thieves. Maybe there's some perceptions and mindsets and, and traditions or fears or, or concepts or principles or under things that you may have grown up thinking even about God that maybe you need to let him come on in and kick some tables over because all, all that's happening with wrong perceptions and wrong thinking is you're being stolen from. So Jesus was just tired of it. He was, he was tired. So you're going to see me go back and forth because we always have to put everything in perception of new Testament. I don't want to preach something to create a, an anchor or a chain to cause bondage. That's what religion is. Religion means to return to bondage. That's what it means. Re go back to legion bondage. So I don't want religion. I, 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 wanna, I don't want to give you religion. I want to give you something that's going to cause you to operate and walk free. And so in my life, over 28 years, there's some seasons where, where, you know, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the word of God, I would read something and say, man, kick that table over. And realizing that, that it was a wrong perspective and really it was shortchanging me of what God had for me. You know, I think of, I think of when I was, you know, some of you heard my story and, 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 you know, growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, had a great, great parents, 
but yet it wasn't real to me. And, and so I had all these understands or ideas of what I wanted to do and not what my parents thought I, I needed to do. But yet deep down in here, I knew that, you know, that I was, I was called to, to ministry. You heard me tell the stories, you know, smoking weed and, and passing a blunt and saying, Hey, I'm called to be a preacher, you know? And, and it's like, and my friend's like, I can see that. I can see that. Where did that come from? I don't know. But there was something that God planted on the inside of me, but yet there was a part of me. You know, I had a, you know, when I was 17, I went to a church service and, and actually it was awesome because this minister reached out and sent Annette a message. And, and here I am 17 years of age, two years before, uh, you know, I had that encounter with God in my sister's living room. And, you know, I'm in that service and I'm sitting kind of where Austin is right there, but maybe, but if you, man, you took look, I'm like, which one is which? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was like, you're messing me up here. <laughs> I was sitting, I was sitting, I was sitting kind of where she is and, and, and I'm sitting there and the minister's there and, and he operated in this, in, in like the prophet gift or whatever. And, and I, I remember coming into that church and, and I didn't like going to my mom's church because I could feel something different at that church. It was like, this is weird, but there's something here that's real and I don't like it. <laughs> My flesh doesn't like it. My, I don't like it. And, and I remember sitting there and, and all of a sudden I, I go, um, you know, I'm, I'm walking and I'm kind of like going to the side. I don't want him to read my mail and tell everyone what I did last night. And, and I'm thinking, and, and, and all of a sudden I'm, I just, if I don't look at him, then everything will be okay. So everywhere he went, I looked a different direction and, and all of a sudden I just, you know, I'm just going to be real spiritual and I'm just going to, you know, and I wanted to like kind of crawl under the thing. And all of a sudden he walks down. I, I didn't see him walk down the aisle and I'm, and I'm looking that direction and I could hear him cause I knew he was getting closer. And all of a sudden he, he, he must've walked in the aisle and I'm looking that direction. And all of a sudden I turn back and look at him and he grabs me by my neck. And all five foot four of me <laughs> was trying to find a back door. <laughs> I'm five foot seven now, so I grew. Okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> and he, he kind of picked me up and, and he looked at me and he said, beware of the calling of God to come clear. And he said, from this day forward, you are a marked man. And then he, and he was a psalmist and he sang the, the, the song, what a difference you'll make in their lives. I won't try to sing it for you. I'll spare you that. <laughs> And, and it, it marked me that day in, in two ways. One, I couldn't forget it. And number two, I didn't want to go back. So here, two years later, it took me two years knowing that God had a plan for my life, knowing that he was wanting to do something in my life. But yet it took two years later for he all of a sudden say, I welcome you, God. It took me two years later and having the beginning of a respiratory disease where they said I'd be on oxygen every day for the rest of my life. It took me in that, in my sister's living room saying, I love you. Hearing the voice, they tell me you love me and don't stop. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I don't know how long I did it, but I went from, I love you to, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And the power of God I didn't know what that was, but something came on me. The top of my head went through my body. You could, you could, uh, you could wring my clothes out from my fever breaking. I could breathe. And I, I stood up and did a dance. I didn't know what dance. No one taught me this. I wasn't in church. 
And, and yet, what did I do? I made my sister's living room in that, in that apartment. That became my place of surrender. That became my altar. That became, and what did I do? I called upon his name. And we saw that with Abraham, we saw it with Isaac, and we see it with Jacob, that every time they built an altar, it's interesting that they did it in a place, in the beginning, they did it in a place called Bethel, which means house of God. They built an altar. There's something you always see in a house of God, and that's always an altar. There's things that we'll always see in a house of man, and that'll be stages. See, an altar is about pursuit, stages are about performance. I don't want to be a performer. I want to be a pursuit pursuer. I, this might be a stage, but, but I, I don't want you to see it as a, as a man-made stage. I just want you to see it. A, 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 Cause this is not about church is not about just, this is about us all see, being seekers of God and pursuing after him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is what Jesus is doing with, with, with the disciples and he's re- showing them. And look, my house should be a house of prayer, but you made it a place of robbers. This is supposed to be a place where people come and experience the goodness of God. Instead, they've come in this place and they're afraid of God. You're stealing from the people. I I don't want to be a pastor that, that is performing for you. I want to, I want this to be a place where, where God is pouring into your life. And I just happen to be the vessel that he does it through. See, this is his, his house. My house would be a house of prayer. And that's just not, that's not just, okay, we're going to say a few prayers and we, we became the house of prayer. No, the house of prayer is a place of worshipers. Thank you, Father. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. While you're turning there with altars, something interesting about the house of God that Jesus was referring to is that very house, I believe, for the most part, at least in this area there, David, you know, we know David in the old Testament, David, David desired to build a house for God up to that time. The the temple was always movable. They moved it in the wilderness. The tent of meeting is what they called it. But it finally got to a time with David where he was saying, I want to build my God a house. But God said, said, you can finance it and I'll give you the plan for it. I'll give you the blueprints for it, but you can't build it because you have blood on your hands. And he says, Solomon, your son's going to build it. And, uh, and, and, he, and I'm just going to just talk out of my heart for a moment. And we'll get to second Chronicles six. That David, uh, is wanting to build God a house, but, but he needed land for a house. He needed a place for this temple, this temple that Jesus was referring to. And, and here he is wanting this temple and there's, there's sickness and there's a plague that is, that is hit God, that hit the people of God because David really stepped outside of what he was supposed to do. And God said, I don't want you to number the people, but he numbered the people. Why? Because David was like, like, instead of trusting God, he wanted to see if they had enough people to see if they could defeat the enemy. God was saying, don't number the people, just trust me. 
See, so often we try to, we look at our situation and try to figure it all out when, 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 when we just need to trust God and let him do it. So God, so it wasn't about, so, so what happened there was, there was a plague that came in and was, was killing the people and, and God, uh, David saw the Lord and said, what do you want me to do? God, what, what do you want me to do? He, and God says, I want you to build an altar. And he goes, but I don't have a place to build you an altar. And so he tells him, he goes, I want you to go to this guy named uh, Aruna. And he goes, I want you to go to him. And, and so, so he went to him and he said, Hey, Aruna, I want you, I, I need this land. I need this place where there's a threshing floor where you do, I need this land. And, and, and Aruna goes, goes, sure, I'll give you this land. This, this, you can, you can have this land. And David said, no, no. He says, I will not do something for God that didn't cost me anything. Wow. I don't want to build something for God that's not going to require a sacrifice of myself. And so, so he ended up buying the piece of land for 50 shekels of silver. And he builds an altar there. Now, it's interesting. The moment that he builds this altar where the future temple of God's going to be, the plague stopped. The plague ceased. The sickness and the disease stopped all based on what building an altar to God, giving God place in the situation. So he goes on and he has the plant. He goes and has the plans for it. He communicates those plans to his son. And, and so they build this house, they dedicate the temple and first, before it all starts, they go in and they send, he goes, I want you to send all the, the priests. It was 120 of them. They were singers. They were trumpet players. They were all sorts of people. It was 120 of them. They were all from different backgrounds and different divisions. Say different divisions. See, see, we have to stop with any divisions in our church. We have to, you know, there's so many divisions that our world tries to place on us, whether it's culturally, financially, whether it's race, whether if you're mass, no mass, vaccinated, unvaccinated. And we get in these huge arguments and all that is doing is tearing down division. The house of God is not that. And my bottom line is you just follow, just follow the Lord, follow the Holy Spirit. But I have to keep. Rick has always communicated the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is him. So here's, they send these worshipers out before them and they go in and they say, say, uh, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Then what happened is the presence of God came down. And this is all, this is also, if you read it in chapter five, it says, you know, it was to the West of the altar. And here they are worshiping God. The presence of God comes in so much. So Terry, that, that the priest couldn't even stand. People ask me questions of, uh, of when people fall down or, you know, when you lay hands on and it's not, it's, I thought it was weird before I knew God. I thought, yes, it definitely is strange on the outside looking in. But when it happened to me the first time I was fighting, I was, ah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to, no, mm-mm, no, sir, uh-uh, not happened to me. And then, man, it hit me when I least expected it, man. What is it? It's the, it's the heaviness of God's goodness that comes on you that you, that you can't, you can't stand up, so to speak. And that's really what the atmosphere was like. So in the midst of that presence, I want us to read what happens. Then said Solomon, the Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick darkness, but I have built a house of habitation for thee and a place for thy dwelling forever. And the king turned his face and blessed the whole congregation of Israel and all the congregation of Israel stood. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now listen to this, 
who hath with his hands fulfilled what he had spoken with his mouth. This is what he's saying to my father, David. So he's saying, this is to my father, David, meaning everything that God spoken to my father, God did it with his hands. And I'm going to talk about, I think I'm going to talk about that next week. Verse five, it says, since the day that I brought forth my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city among all the tribes of Israel to build and house in that my name might be there. Neither choose I any man to be a ruler over my people, Israel, but I've chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. And I've chosen David to be over my people, Israel. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Okay, hold on to that thought. Now, you don't need to turn there, but I want to. Back in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus says, my house should be a house of prayer. After that, the Pharisees, the ones standing there, it said they saw all the wonderful things that he did. First, it says, once he cleared everything out, it said, first, the blind and the lame came to him. They came to the altar and it said, and he healed them. And then it says that all of them that were there saw the wonderful things that he did and said, the children were worshiping and praising him and said, Hosanna, son of David. Hosanna to the son of David. The, the son of David. Well, we know who's the son of David, Solomon. But we also know that Jesus came from David. So I'm, I'm just kind of just want you to see this without taking a whole lot of time. So get a picture of this. Now back to this Solomon. So, David can't build the altar, uh, the, the tabernacle, but his son Solomon can. If you go down to verse, thank you, father, go to verse 12. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And he spread forth his hands. Now listen to this. For he had made a how, a bronze scaffold, five cubits square, three cubits high. And he set it in the midst of the court of the temple. Upon it, he stood and he knelt upon his knees before all the assembly of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven. And he said, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heavens or in the earth, keeping covenant and showing mercy and loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. Now get a picture of this here. Solomon here, the glory of God fell with all the priests that were there. He's He's coming to God. God, he's, he, he builds, he said he built an altar. So this altar is, is seven and a half. This is nine feet. So it's seven and a half by four and a half feet. It's four and a half feet. It's, I'm sorry, it's seven, it's, it's seven and a half feet in, in diameter square. And then it's four feet, four and a half feet off the ground. Yet it's an altar. But, but wait a minute. I mean, in that time, in that day and age, what you put on altars were like sheep and oxen. It, something, something's changed here. He's like, wait a minute. And this is what I believe. It's the second time we see a human on an altar. 
the first time we see Abraham took up Isaac. But in this, it said that he built this altar and it said what he stood upon it and it said, and then he kneeled. This is the first time that we see a man taking the position to be the sacrifice. Wow. And this is the dedication. This is the dedication of the temple. This is when, this is before everything was going. This is, this is the beginning of it. And how did it begin? With a human building an altar and kneeling before it and giving him of all of his heart and everything that he has. I could go on and read the next. He, he ends up praying from, from verses, uh, verses uh, 15. Verse 15 again, he says, this is his prayer. Thou which hath kept with thy servant David, my father, that would have promised him and spoke with thy mouth and has fulfilled it with thy hand as it is this day. Meaning just like, just like you did it for my father, just like you did it, my father, whatever you spoke to my father, you did it with your, you did it with your hand. So, so Solomon is at the altar and he's saying, just as you did it for my father, David, I thank you is what you promise with your mouth, you will do with your hand. And so here, this long prayer, he goes through and he talks about all kinds of stuff. I don't have time to to go there. I want you, I want us to get to, um, thank you, father. Verse 38. And he's praying over him. He's praying over all the people of Israel. And verse 38, it says, if they return to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity. Wow. If they return to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity. This goes back to what Annette transitioned with. You know, giving permission. So here they knew they were going to be in a land of captivity at one point. But Solomon's prayer is when they are in a land of captivity, what are they going to do? They're going to return to you with all their heart. I don't know matter. I don't know where you might be in your life right now. But I want to know if you return to him with all your heart, he will release you from whatever bondages, whatever oppression and things that may be weighing on your life. If they return to you with all their heart and soul in the land of captivity and pray facing their land, which you gave to their fathers towards the city, which you have chosen and the house, which I have built for your name. Listen to this. Then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Verse 40. Now, oh my God, I beseech you, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer offered in this temple. So now arise, O Lord. Now listen. So now arise, O Lord, and come into your resting place. You in the ark of your strength and power. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in good and in your goodness. O Lord God, turn not away from the face of your anointed one. Remember your good deeds, mercy and steadfast love for David, your servant. But all this is coming on turning. This is, this is all about coming to the altar. It's all coming before him and giving all of your heart to him. You see, coming to the altar is about, is about surrendering everything that you have to him, surrendering your heart to him. You see, it wasn't until I surrendered my heart because I was so worried about what was I going to miss if I totally dived in, dove in with God. 
I was so worried about, well, what about all my friends? I've had all these friends that I've had since, since kindergarten. And we, 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 we've done life together. We've done sports together. We've done all these things. And, and, and yet these are, these are my close friends. And I know, I know they're going to think I'm weird. I know that, that it is it, not. And I was so worried about what I was going to miss and what I was going to lose. What was happening? My perception was being a thief and a robber. But when I understood, when I understood, you see, he finished praying. Now listen to verse seven, I mean, chapter seven, verse one. Remember, he asked him to come down. His request was come down. Was verse one say, when Solomon had finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed with their faces upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good for his mercy and loving and kindness endure forever. I'm I'm a living testimony that I can bow down before you. You are right now in testimony to his goodness. When I totally, I totally brought myself to the altar at that apartment, my sister's apartment, getting down and on my knees and declaring that he is Lord of my life, declaring that in his, what happened when I cried out to him at the altar, what happened? The fire of God came down. I didn't know what it was at that time, but it was the fire of God that came down on my head. And I felt like I was on fire. It pushed out every sickness. It pushed out disease. It pushed out hopelessness. It pushed out every, everything that had been holding me back. It, it was released out of me in that moment. But I first had to give him permission by making him an altar. Bringing myself as that sacrifice. It's not about what you do on the outside, but it's what do you do when no one else is looking? Where is your heart when no one else is around? Yeah, I could, I could have gone to church and, 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 and tried to perfect my Christianity by coming to a front eventually. But it was that encounter that had in that personal time with God and giving him permission that totally his presence came into my life and changed me from the inside out. I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching religion to you. I'm preaching my experience. I'm preaching what happened to me personally. This isn't, this isn't some fairy tale book to me, man is life to me. It's changed my, you know, his word in my life, his presence in my life, surrendering things to in my life. I had a chip on my shoulder. I was angry at people. But, but when I came to the altar, there was things on the inside of me where all of a sudden I, I think different. I see different, but it took me yielding to him. Let's go to Isaiah 57 and I'll start closing. Kelly, can you put up uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, please? I just want you to see this because that's why I, I'm a firm believer in teaching in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just if you teach in the Old Testament, just make sure you see it in the, in the light of New Testament revelation. 
and we ministered this first time on the first series we did on this, we dealt with this. And also a little bit last week. Talking about we have an altar, that's actually verse 10, but you get down to verse 15, talking about through him. Therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. Now, now let's read here in Isaiah. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to look at. Thank you, Father. Let's look at verse 15. It says, for thus says the high and lofty one. I'm reading the Amplified. He who inhabits eternity. So we're seeing who the high and lofty one is. It's the one who inhabits eternity. Whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in a high and holy place, but with him also who is of a thoroughly penitent and a humble spirit. Now listen, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, but with him also who is of a thoroughly penitent and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the thoroughly penitent. Meaning, meaning I'm not just dwelling in eternity all by myself. But his desire is to dwell in, with eternity with all those that have a humble heart. Wait, wait do you see that? Because this gives us the heart of God. Verse 16 says, for I will not contend forever. Neither will I be angry always. For if I did stay angry, the spirit of man would faint and be consumed before me. Meaning if I, if I really stayed angry with Justin, he would be nothing but a vapor by now. If I really, if I really was angry with Terry, you don't have a chance, my brother. <laughs> and then he says this, he says, you be consumed before me. Now listen, this, and my purpose in creating the souls of men would be frustrated. Meaning if I consumed Ryan and I destroyed Ryan, then I miss out on why he's here. Every single one of you in this place, you have a purpose and you have a destiny. That's why the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. Why? Because he doesn't want your purpose fulfilled. What is God saying here? He goes, he goes, if, if, if I, if I didn't want to contend with men, I, you know, they would just be a vapor. But what would happen is not only what would happen is, is my purpose on why I created them would be gone. What was his purpose in relationship? What his purpose with us? It was relationship. You know, Isaiah 28 tells us why he created the heavens and the earth. Do you know why? Do you want to know, know why? It tells it. It says, so it would be inhabited. He created earth for us, not, he created earth for us, not us for earth. But yet, you, the way that you look at society and everything, everything is about, everything is about the earth. No, God created the earth for it to be inhabited. Everything God created was with a purpose. So if he were to consume you and me, then he's going to shortchange himself. 
Why? Because the desire is that he would dwell in the holy of holies, in, in that presence, not just, not just an attorney with himself, but all those with a humble spirit. If we took, took the time to go back to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, what does it say? All those that pray and seek my face and humble themselves, when they do that, he goes, I will turn and I will heal their land. And it says, and then I will fulfill the prayers that were play, prayed in this place. See, it takes our humility, it takes humility to surrender. Pride resists, humility receives. And so that's what he's saying here. My purpose in creating the souls of men would be frustrated because of the injustice of his covetousness and unjust gain. I was angry. He's talking about Judah. This was God's people because of God's people, covetousness and unjust gain. I was angry and smote him. I hid my face and was angry and he went on turning away and backsliding in the, in his own way, his own willful heart. Verse 18, but I have seen his willful ways, but I will heal him. Wow. Meaning I've seen man's heart towards me, but what? I'll heal him. No matter you turn your back on him, no matter what you need, you need to understand that God never left you. God never leaves us. He's always right there. He's always right there with, with, with open arms. He's always right there until this dispensation of grace is over. He's always going to be right there. He goes, even though they turn their back on me, he goes, yet I will still heal them. Woo. Wow. I will heal him. I will lead him also and will recompense him and restore comfort to him and to those who mourn for him. Then he says, peace, peace to him who is far off, both Jew and Gentile, and to him who is near, says the Lord. I create the fruit of the lips and I will heal and make his lips blossom anew with speech and thankful praise. What is, I, what, what is Hebrews, what was Hebrews talking about? This. And what is this talking about? Those that would come and surrender to the altar. Because when you surrender, you open yourself up for his hand to heal. You open his, his hand to recompense, his hand to restore, his hand to bring peace, peace. Everything Jesus came to do, it was to bring peace. To bring us to a place what God's purpose was. And that was relationship. So the altar boils down to this. It's all about surrendering to his plan. And that plan is his relationship. We surrender to that plan. He restores. He recovers. He brings recompense. He brings abundant overflow. He brings, he pours in the goodness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. To the altar. It's not just this religious concept, but it's a place that we need to really bring ourselves on a daily basis. You see, the word says, humble ourselves under the mighty hand. First Peter chapter five, I believe James chapter four, I think. Humble ourselves under his mighty hand and what he exalts us. He exalts us. We have to stop putting faith in our faith. 
Stop putting faith in our ability and all that we can do and the things that we can accomplish. How much education we might have and what our background. I'm not against any education. I'm not against those things. But, but bottom line, as a believer, my success will come out of my humility. And the altar is all about surrendering to that place of humility. Do you receive that this morning? Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, we thank you for the richness of your word. And we thank you that you are leading us as a church in understanding the importance of an altar. Hallelujah. So all of, our, all of us are at different places in our life and just right where you are. Maybe you're watching at home, watching what way of internet. Just right where you are, whether here or there. Make where you're standing an altar. It's not about the, what I see on the outside or how vocal you could be or how many tears that may, you may cry or that's, that's not the point. The point is God's after your heart. He's out for your heart. God desires to do great things in each one of our lives. But it all begins with humility in this life of surrender. Yeah, I surrendered my life January 23rd of 1993. But you know what? I, that wasn't the last time I had to surrender. I had to surrender other things. I had to surrender attitudes. I had to surrender my mistakes. I had to surrender fears. Every week there's things that the Lord says, you know, you need to give that to me. That's what a living, breathing relationship with, with heaven is like. It's not just this, this, okay, I said a prayer and then, then I go on my way. No, it's, it's, it's knowing that he, he wants to have personal relationship with you. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. And when you surrender, I'm telling you, his glory, his presence will come in the room. Maybe you need to surrender. There's some people in our church family that are battling coronavirus right now. I'm not saying that this has nothing to do with, this has to do, we, we, Lord, we give this to you. We're not the healers. You're the healer. Sometimes we ask the question, I've heard people ask the question, well, why did this sickness come? Or why is that happening? And why is this happening? You know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it come from or how it got there. The bottom line is this, Jesus paid for it at the cross. I don't know where, where, where the, how the sickness came in, but, but, but I do know who, who did something about it. But you know what? We have to give it to him. Lord, we give you every symptom. We give you, we give you the pressures. We, we give you our land. We give you our nation. We, Father, we give you every, every thought and intent of our heart. We give you all that we are this morning. We give you the mistakes. We give you our shortcomings. We give you the, the things we've done. We, we give you the things that we may have done or said to other people. We release everything to you today. So whatever comes up in your heart in this time of before we close out and before we transition, just 
surrender things to him. You know, there's, if you are born again and his spirit's living on the inside of you, the Romans says that his spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we're sons of God. So I don't need to give out a list of all these different things that you could surrender, but I know your spirit on the inside of you will tell you exactly. Yeah, you need, you need to get rid of that. Yeah, that's a wrong attitude. Maybe you have the attitude that God doesn't love you, that he's mad at you, he's angry at you. Give, give that thought to God. Give, give it to him. Because when we give it to him, like with Solomon, it said the fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. Lord, as we release things to you in these, not just right now, but in the days ahead, thank you for your presence coming in and strengthening, empowering, equipping. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. We worship you. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we come to the altar. We come to him who is Jesus. We constantly and in all times thankfully and give the fruit of our lips. Thankfully acknowledge and bless and glorify his name. Hallelujah. So right where you are, just, just call on him. Just tell him that you surrender. Tell him what I surrender this, Lord. I surrender this, Lord. I give you this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. sense the Holy Spirit just moving over this place. Thank you. Remember the altar is also a place of exchange. Our weakness for his strength. Our sickness for his wholeness. His peace for our confusion. We give it all to you. We give it all to you. I surrender all to you. I give it all to you. never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And you want to make that decision and give permission. 
I don't want to assume that everyone here has made Jesus the Lord of their life, but just come down real quick. Come down real quick. The things I've got to see, the things I've got to do, the... But all begin with a surrender. And then you know, Annette said what I said a couple weeks ago, just that there's something more than where you are right now. And the degree of that more, a lot of times depending on our surrender. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Father. you so much the altar is a place of mercy prayers that you would know the lengths and the depths and the heights of that love that he has for each one of us the love that he has for you it's not just a thing in the service but it has to become a continual thing begin to surrender. I'm still here a year and a half. I've lived in Kenya for over 30 years. And boy, if I had to surrender, I've missed Kenya. I've missed the kids we're raising in the orphanage. I've had four dreams. All four said, stay. I've really had to surrender. I I don't know what all that looks like. But Pastor Justin, that was wonderful. Surrender means you're going to face the unknown. I can say my time here has been, especially for a year, surrendering. Because I've set dates like, now Lord, I'm planning on returning in October. This is 2020. What do you say about that? Or... I'm planning, Lord, 
in returning in February. February would come and go, Lord, let me present April to you. <laughs> April comes and goes. And, I, and you know, when you learn to live in the grip of grace, you absolutely cannot move until you've heard from him. And there's been a release. That's how you're led by the spirit. You're in the grip of grace. But pastor, what I can say, and this was so good today. It's, it's where I've been, but you brought so much light. Is that when you surrender, you face the unknown. Where you come out of where you've known and you have lived, you have functioned, you have operated, you have walked in what you've known. But then when you surrender in a place where you don't know, you, you come to a place I don't know anymore. I thought I knew. I thought I knew <clears throat> where the end of my life would be, that I would go to be with the Lord in Kenya and be buried in Kenya. I thought I knew. So what do we do when we surrender? We face the unknown. When we face the unknown, let me tell you, there's nothing left but praise yeah. and thanksgiving right. to the one yeah. who does know. Yeah. Yeah. To the one with the eternal plan yeah. who has made a plan for us. Yeah. There is nothing left but to thank him for his plan. Yeah. Yeah. And to praise him yeah. for his greatness yeah. and ability to unfold that plan. Yes. And one more thing is praying in the spirit. When we don't know that next step. We don't know the timing anymore. I, I functioned in a certain frame, time frame for over really 34 years, 34 years, guys. Most of my adult life has been in Kenya and now four dreams and another confirmation stay. That doesn't mean I'll never return, but I won't be living there as I have lived these decades in Kenya. Thank you. Pastor, it puts that type of level of surrender because we can say the word surrender, but it has to be heart surrender to the one who knows what we do not know. Yeah. Praying in the spirit is praying from the book that he has written about us. It is, it, is, it is not a light thing to pray in the Spirit. But we're, he's written a book about your life, and we pray from that book the purposes of God. Mm, right. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, even today, as we surrender on the altar, our very lives. We know we face things we do not know, but our confidence is in the one who does know. Our Lord utterly surrendered his life. Mm -hmm. 
even to death on the cross. How can we refuse to surrender our own lives totally, completely to the will of heaven? Father, we face the unknown, but you know. And I pray for Pastor, Pastors Justin Annette, and for this congregation that as we pray, as we pray in unknown tongues, we pray the utterances of heaven, that it would be on earth even as it is in heaven, that the things that you've written in the books that concern us, you would grant us utterance, Father, of the unknown, what we do not know. Father, where we don't even know the next step to take, but we know the Spirit of God knows all things. We have the one who does know abiding within to lead and guide us into all truth. Thank you, Father. Father, today we open up our lives to the eternal purposes of heaven in a greater way than we have ever known to do so before. And as a church, as a congregation, as individuals, Lord, we pray for your will. Not our human fleshly will, but for the will of heaven to be released on the altars of our hearts, Father, where we surrender all to you. Even what we thought we knew, we realize we do not have all knowledge operating within our hearts and minds yet, but we surrender to the one who has that knowledge, to the Holy Spirit, trusting, trusting, trusting. You will show us things to come. You will show us your plans and purposes. Thank you, Father, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your purposes are higher than our purposes. But on this altar of surrender, we receive your ways. We receive your thoughts. We receive higher purposes than we have known. Yes, Lord. And we do this by faith. Yes, Father. In the matchless name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Receive that this morning. Give him a shout of praise. Amen.